Welcome to Conservation Queen's podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life zoo employees, and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations and all our thoughts and opinions are our own. Please keep in mind that we try to keep this podcast PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand. I'm Emily A. I'm Katie. I'm Abby. I'm Kenzie. And I'm Emily B. With with that, that... oh, <laughs> I was about to say that was maybe the most perfect yes. we've ever done it with all of us here. We were so close. I'm so sorry. It's my fault. I really thought it was going to be the perfect one. It never. Well, is. it was close enough, and I think that's what we're going to get today. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, just so you know, we never redo these. This is the first take every time. Every yeah, I think in the beginning we. We redid. We did. We totally did. Yeah, we were just like, whatever. (laughs) Who cares? It's part of our personality now. (laughs) Um. So I have um a sad, important announcement. Um, I'm leaving the podcast. (laughs) I like not gonna lie. When you were saying the intro, I might have gotten a little emotional. Yeah, me too. I was like, oh wow, Emily's last time saying the intro. I know. It's fine. I'm very sad. But um, essentially, the reasoning behind it, um, number one, uh, life. (laughs) But more seriously, um, in early, like, 21, um, I started volunteering with a rescue, um, a pet rescue, not a wild animal rescue. Um, And then I got a new job. And with trying to balance both of those things at the same time, it's just been a lot. And um, I need to dedicate more time to saving animals. So that's why I have to use the time that I use in the podcast to um, help rescue some more dogs and cats. That's a fair thing right there. <laughs> so, kudos very proud you have of such you. a noble cause. Yeah. Well, and Aww. putting your mental health first, too, because you don't want to burn out yourself. So good for you, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and you moved. <laughs> I did. There's been a lot happening, so we're gonna miss you a lot, and I'm sure the fans will miss you a lot too. I know. I'll still be here, just like supporting in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Once a queen, always a queen. Oh, is for that. Said. Oh, I love it. Well, oh, yeah. we made like sweaters and everything, and I actually wore it the other day, and I was like, oh, my little conservation queen sweater. I just sew a patch back on mine because it fell off. Sorry. (laughs) I was like, that didn't take long. (laughs) Um, What was I going to say? Oh, well, that is why we are doing an episode today um, that is kind of is inspired by Emily and her new pursuit, her new career. Spoiler alert, we're talking about dogs and cats. (laughs) And And rats. animals. And rats. (laughs) We're going to be talking about how, oh, about to give it all away. You skipped four things. Well, I thought we'd just like say what we're going to talk about and then get into our like, you know, business as usual. Here are the conservation zoo and Bolivia newses, but (laughs) I will. The newses. Yes. Yes. You heard me correctly. Yeah. Let's go with the newses. So, okay. We'll start off with the good old conservation updates. We'll keep you in suspense. Just. 10 more minutes. <laughs> actually have, yeah, exactly. Actually have like really good ones. Abby just rewrote the title of this section to the news. I'm changing um, it in the, in the document. All right. That's amazing. Thanks for that. So the first <laughs> conservation update I have for you all is about tarantulas. Because we love them. Um, and sometimes their bites are kind of painful. Uh, but that's actually not a bad thing in this case so recently there's been a new study that found that venom from the king baboon spider no which is a hold on you heard you heard me correctly yeah you gotta google that thing yeah the king baboon spider which is baboon sorry uh spider or tarantula it is a tarantula um is native to tanzania so he I looks do not nothing think... like a baboon i don't know he's 
I mean, I was going to say it's kind of hairy, but I guess so are all tarantulas. So anyway. Every spider, bamboo spider. <laughs> He's native to Tanzania, so don't worry, listeners. Um, oh, and Kenya. So I don't think many of our listeners are going to be encountering this guy. Uh, but their bite uh, could offer clues to developing more effective painkillers, or more specifically their venom. So they've discovered in this study that uh, the tarantula's bite, which causes muscle spasms and swelling, targets sensory neurons, causing the brain to send signals of pain throughout the body. With insight on the mechanisms that cause extreme pain, or this extreme pain in particular, researchers may be able to create medicines that have the opposite effect, blocking those channels. Uh, So, you know pretty neat uh many modern day medicines like aspirin penicillin morphine um, and several chemotherapeutics were derived from derived from plants animals fungi and spiders so if we protect tropical forests we also protect these you know discoveries in the future that can help solve you know even more uh, illnesses like cancer or cystic fibrosis as uh, the quote from this article gives us an example so there you have it friends tarantulas are amazing anyone who says otherwise is lying to you Um, they have cute faces i well this one in particular i don't know if you looked up a picture of it has some pretty big fangs yeah it's a lie yeah they're a little scarier than your average like um i don't know mexican red knee tarantula which i think are very cute until he's pink toe tarantula. Oh, they're cute. Oh, I too. love those. That was the um, coolest tarantula I ever hold. It's so small. If you Google the king baboon spider and then scroll down like to the fourth row, there's a picture of it, you know, standing up on its like its front legs are up and it looks like it, it's basically in the I will attack you if you do anything else pose. But it's the same pose that the tarantula in Animal Crossing. I was makes. just going <laughs> to say it's Animal <laughs> Crossing. It's I just imagine coming across a tarantula in real life and I see it do that and I would literally go, oh, it's doing the Animal Crossing thing. <laughs> and then it and would then bite you and, and you wouldn't die, me. but it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be fun, no. <laughs> uh, so on to the next piece of conservation news, which is maybe my favorite thing I've ever heard of in my life. Uh, so recently a bride uh, made the slowest walk down the aisle in history as she made her pet sulcata tortoise the ring bearer at her wedding. That's so incredible. So get this. First of all, the two that were wed, they are both vets. They met while doing a wild, wild tortoise survey 20 years ago. So they felt it was only right for their beloved sulcata tortoise named Tom Shellick. Oh my god. To be part of their wedding celebration. Uh, so there were strawberries dotted down the aisle for Tom, uh, and that is how they got him to walk down the aisle. But he took about three minutes to get down the aisle where it took everyone else um, a few seconds. So I'm dead. And then this is my favorite thing about this article is the bride said, quote, the only thing we were worried about was if ladies had painted toenails and he'd look at them and think they were fruit and maybe get off track and bite some toes. But fortunately, that didn't happen. So I'm really proud of Tom Shellick. I think I need Tom Shellick at my wedding. You say, Emily, have you made your plans yet? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, not not it for that. It doesn't have to be a tortoise. It could be a, it could be a sea turtle. Uh, that would take longer like than slower, three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd have to be like scuba diving and like getting married under the water for that to really work. Sounds what romantic. You mean? Sounds romantic. <laughs> <She's not familiar>. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, that really wasn't conservation. <laughs> I just saw it and I could not get over it. So I had to share it with you all. But this last one is conservation related. Um, very relevant for those of us that live here in Florida. Apparently, Caribbean flamingos are back in Florida, baby. Oh, and when I say they're back, I mean they are back. So yes. one of our um, research coworkers posted a picture of it. Yeah. Um, they actually saw a flamingo out in the wild in Florida. Right. So, so when are we going? Because I need it for my life list. I also really would like to actually go and see this. Yes. Uh, they, 
what is the word ex extirpated mean? Extirpated. That's like a word I feel like I should know. Uh, to root out or destroy completely. All right. Well, there you go. So they were once, I guess, pretty much uh, flamingos were once driven away from Florida. Uh, so much so that they lost their status as being a native species. Uh, I called it the Caribbean flamingo. They're also known as the American flamingo. Uh, but they have been sighted again in the state's uh, wetlands, prompting conservationists to feel it is the right time for the flamingos to maybe become a native bird of Florida again. Whoa. Yeah. So they're uh, working with GPS collars to track these birds and finding that they're once again making their way to places like the Everglades. Uh, they were considered for 100, 100 years um, rare migrants to Florida shores. It was like only once in a while you'd see them and they'd pop up and you'd be like, oh, one of them made their way you know, to the very outskirts of Florida down there. Um, but now flamingos are known to visit annually or even stay year round. So right now, uh, 2020, this was actually in 2021, uh, they released the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission stated that there were somewhere, this kind of cracks me up, there were somewhere between zero and a thousand individuals in Florida. <laughs> they couldn't have made That's it. A large cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope. Zero to a thousand. Nowhere. Somewhere in between that. So. All or nothing. Welcome to Florida. <laughs> this that's, small, that's everyone else's motto. <laughs> this small population it occurs on public conservation lands um, and exhibits a stable or increasing population trend in recent years. So they're kind of working uh, to build a database of the behavior, habitat, migration patterns for this population so that if the numbers do grow large enough uh, as a to receive a listing as a state threatened species or any other kind of designation, there's already information for officials to access. Um, which I think is really funny because, so I work with Caribbean flamingos and we always have to tell guests if like a feather happens to be like where guests can reach it. And they ask us, Hey, can we take this feather? We actually technically have to tell them that they cannot um, because flamingos are still protected under um the Migratory Bird Act here in the United States, American or Caribbean flamingos in particular. Um, so taking their feathers is actually illegal. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's interesting that now they may well actually be a native species here again. So we're you going to uh, follow the University of Central Florida. Um, they're posting flamingo alerts on their Facebook page to help local that. birders um, try and find them. And raise awareness for their return. So we love an iconic bird that has no brain cells. Or <laughs> they have one bouncing around the whole flock is how I describe <laughs> them. I mean, not wrong. And sometimes none of them know knows where it is anyway, so <laughs> all right. Uh, zoo news. We got some zoo news. Um zoo Tampa. Uh, and first of all, shout out to Johnny, one of our, I, I would say he's probably our number one fan uh, for sending us this on Instagram. Zoo Tampa is going through a huge revamp for 2022. They're going to expand their native Florida exhibits. They're opening more room for the manatees, including a critical care and baby pool, oh, not for human wow. babies, but for manatee babies. So don't throw your kid in there. And then um, they're also getting some uh, baboons actually stop really yeah they're getting oh yes what were they called oh it started with an h I, I love baboons <laughs> um ha- hamadryas hamadryas yeah, yeah that's it yeah so they're getting those wow two. oh my god i'm really excited i have a pass there so it's this is great also they have uh, a shoe bill stuffed animal that Katie's going to buy for me. Yes, I literally sent this to Abby when they announced it the other day, and I am 100% willing to go get it for you I, I, will I love visiting the zoo. Um, so that was exciting. So thanks, Johnny, for sending us that. Um, next, we have something called Zoo Poo, which is a partnership between the Dallas Zoo um, and a Fort Worth recycling center. And they're creating Zoo Poo, which 
is a compost made out of the poop from all the herbivores. Wonderful. At the zoo oh, that people nice. can just buy. They can That's get it at the zoo gift shop. Oh, oh. That's brilliant. Isn't that so cool? Yeah, yeah I do. I do love it. That made me um think about, oh, I think you're about to talk about it after your next one. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I know what she was thinking of. <laughs> you all will soon find oh. out. Got me taken away. <laughs> okay. Well, the next one, um, this is just, this headline got me. Uh, and I thought, Katie, you would enjoy this. I'm, I'm just going to read the headline. Zoo okay. hires Marvin Gaye impersonator to get monkeys in the mood. Oh? Oh my god. Are you Wait, serious? That's too much. I no, need, they did I this. need to know what zoo this was. It was a zoo um, at the Trenton Monkey zoo. Forest oh in Stafford, England. Hired a Martin Gaye impersonator oh to perform god, inside the Barbary macaque habitat. Oh my god, he's literally just in there with yeah, him. Yeah, he's in there with them. With them. To oh, try Lord. to get the monkeys to breed. Oh, and he I... sang songs including "Let's Get It On" and "Sexual Healing." And did oh this, Lord, did this, uh, actually work or were the mechanics like this said... man we don't know out of our habitat? Okay, let me let me just quote the article because I don't think I can quite explain it as well. We thought it could be a creative way to encourage our females to show a little affection to males that might not have been so lucky in love. Park director Matt Lovett said on the zoo's website, females wonder... in season mate with several males, so paternity among our fur residents is never known. Each birth is vital to the species, with barber macaques being classified as endangered. And they say, zookeepers expect to discover whether the visit had any effect on the monkeys when birthing season arrives in late spring or early summer. I honestly don't think it's going to have any effect on their... I'm very you know, confused but, by why but, this was the no, reasoning. I'm... I think it was just a publicity thing for yeah. the zoo. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I would have loved to be sitting in on that keeper chat. Like, you know what I think would really work with our macaque breed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if the only, like, the only possible way it could work is maybe it makes the boys, like, show off more. And then uh, the ladies are like, ooh. It's like a competition know. now. I don't know. Yeah. That's I the think only... it was a publicity <laughs> Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really think it was super relevant to anything. Oh, no, I, that I love it. I'm really it definitely caught it. my eye. <laughs> I mean, it kind of also ties in with the next one as a publicity, like, fundraising for Zoo thing. Yeah, but this one yeah. makes more sense to me. Um, So, Valentine's Day is coming up, which is very, I guess, exciting. My partner, I don't do anything. Um. <laughs> but a lot of zoos will if you donate money name a cockroach or other kind of creepy crawly after an ex of yours in order to feed them to different animals yeah and they'll like send you a video of like an owl eating like your cockroach <laughs> named like i don't know hannah alex yeah. <laughs> all right Kenzie some of those, pulling out the real names some of those were yeah just throwing some names this out is, there some of them were maybe slimmer. a little more personal <laughs> what zoo does that though isn't it like, one uh, of there's, like there's a 50. few the Bronx Zoo the San Antonio Zoo just the first ones that are coming up on Google um, El Paso Zoo alright alright cool. fun so if you have any exes that you really want to spite, or I guess somehow witchy curse, what about what ex roommates? I mean, yeah, yeah. that counts. Yeah, I'm sure. It said exes. It didn't say ex romantic partner. It just said exes. Beautiful. So, uh, we can all throw some in for Kenzie, and she, she can just name all our college. <laughs> <laughs> Got a list of names with scores to settle. Let's go. <laughs> well, it's, it's a good way to donate to conservation and kind of celebrate the Valentine's Day in kind of a fun, <laughs> exciting way, I guess. It's definitely an entertaining way. At least entertaining. I personally just like watching the live streams just, just because it's fun. And right. now it's time for Beluga News. Beluga News, the best news. 
Okay, so I searched high and low this week, and I had some significant troubles finding anything uh, very newsworthy. So I went with possibly the greatest thing I've ever discovered, uh, which is that if you can get yourself to which, by the way, there are no roads that go there. You have to fly or take a train. Um, <laughs> Trains are nice. Yeah, but if you can get yourself there in the summer months, um, they do paddleboarding on the Hudson Bay, and you can literally paddleboard with the beluga whales. Incredible. Uh, it's only $170, so I'm ready. Let's go. Um, <laughs> there are a few companies that do this. They also do... Uh, like boat tours and tours from land and like all these other tours. But like paddleboarding with belugas does like the greatest thing I can imagine. I would like to point out how cold the Hudson Bay is. Well, yeah, you're not going swimming. Don't fall off your paddleboard. I, uh, as someone that's been on a paddleboard before. It's harder than you that's think. That's a tough ask. I paddleboarded on Mission Bay in San Diego. It's like probably in the same. San Diego! You know, that water was not warm either. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, if anybody would like to join me on a beluga paddleboarding trip, uh, I'll be taking signups. Thank you so much. I'll do it, but I'm going to sit down the whole time. Yeah, they said you could. You get two hours on the water. That's amazing. That's a lot. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, and then that's all I have for beluga news. So we're just going to get right into it. Um, like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, because this is for Emily A's last episode. Cue the tears. Very sad. <laughs> There it is. Um, we are doing a topic that is near and dear to her heart and all of our hearts, but that is uh, domestic animals and conservation. Uh, we cover a lot, a lot, a lot, pretty much every episode um, about wild animals or animals in zoos and aquariums. Um, but we're going to talk about, you know, the ones that maybe are literally closer to home, like perhaps in your home. Uh, things like dogs and cats. Um, we've got a lot of great examples of how these animals can help conservation efforts around the world. Um, and so I will let Emily A. take it away. Yeah. So I'm going to start with the first one um, that I have on here because it actually um, has to do with another rescue called Conservation Canines. Um, they specifically rescue highly energetic, what are called last chance dogs. Um, and if you don't know what a last chance dog is, it's a dog that is on the list to be euthanized for space in um, a government-run shelter. Um, and they take these dogs from the shelter, train them, and track and use them um, to track down scat of dozens of species. You heard it. Scat. <laughs> Yay, <So> poop! <laughs> we talk about poop all the time. Poop is literally a goldmine for researchers. Um, so it teaches us a lot about animals and it also helps us find endangered species and it's hard for us people to find poop because our noses suck, but dogs <laughs> are amazing. So, um, that's just one really great example of, um, a rescue that uses animals that, um, get another chance at life to actually, you know, do some good at the same time. So, like, you get to do good by saving animals, and they get to do good by saving other animals. <laughs> we love it. Um, and then another cool way that dogs are used um, is detecting disease. Um, this one I thought was really interesting. Um, there's dogs that have been trained to sniff out American fowl brood, um, or called AFB, um, which apparently is the most serious bacterial disease impacting honeybees. Oh, oh wow. Cool. Yeah. That's you save the bees? You save the bees. I save the bees. You save more, the bees. More reasons to love dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's one that you can look up called Mac the Bee Dog. The Bee Dog? <laughs> Oh, it's a yellow lab. Oh, it's a yellow lab. Oh, no. Oh, he's very cute. <laughs> he has, like, YouTube videos and all this fun stuff. So if you want to see a dog saving <gasps> the look up Mac the Bee Dog. He's dressed as a skunk. <laughs> he is. He has a little skunky outfit. It's incredible. I love it. I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> we only just started the topic, Abby. Don't... don't... We can't lose you yet. I'm sorry. I, there's a lot of emotions happening all at one time. <laughs> it is a lot. 
Um, another really cool way dogs are used, um, I love this one, is keeping the bears wild, which first of all, if like hiking 101, if you go somewhere that has grizzly bears, like you actually probably shouldn't bring a dog because the grizzly bears would be like, ooh, dog, and then they come to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, in areas where it's black bears... <laughs> They've um, used this dog called a Carillion Bear, if I'm pronouncing the breed it's correctly. It's really cute. They're awesome, adorable. <laughs> They're like floofy border collies in a way. That's a um, border collie mixed with a Shiva Anu. <laughs> I love it. Um, and they're trained to keep bears from becoming too comfortable around people using a technique called bear shepherding. Sheepherding? Shepherding? Shepherding. Shepherding. There's the word. <laughs> Um, and there's a program in Montana that trains these dogs for this called, um, oh, it deleted my word. It just says guarding dogs. We love that. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it again. You guys want to know something funny in the meanwhile? Yes. Well, I was trying to look up what the Carillion bear dog looks like, as that is the name of the breed of dog. Um, however, when I typed it in, I didn't know how to spell it. So I wrote like, <laughs> C-O-R-E-L-L-I-A-N. Corellian dog. Um, the reason my brain did that is because of what Star, Star Wars. What Star Wars movie have you been watching? <laughs> so, all right, all right. Yeah, so uh, I Googled it, and apparently there is a Corellian dog, but it's like a Star Wars animal. <laughs> it I'm, looks I'm really up. messed up, and it's not the cute dog that Emily's talking ah, about. Ah, no, bad. <laughs> So I was like, oh, I don't think I spelled it correctly. <laughs> um, it is spelled a K. It's K-A-R-E-L-I-A-N. I'm looking so. at the picture from Wookiepedia. Wookiepedia. Yep. yep, yep, yep. That's what came up for me. Amazing. So don't make the same mistakes they, I did. Oh, they are actually really cute dogs. The, the, the ones in Han Solo, they they played by real dogs. Yes, they Aww. were. Oh, so good. <laughs> I love it. So I looked up the um, facility and it's called Wind River Canine Partners. Um, but they also train service dogs. So how cool. Love that. Is your service dog just a little too aggressive? <laughs> well, we are going to train it to, to uh, scare off black bears instead. <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing, though, because my sister, as I've mentioned probably 5,000 times, does train service dogs. That is her job. Um, and that's what she's studying in school is how to genetically make them have less career changes. But being able to find homes for the dogs or like other things they can do to work because the dogs, usually they get career changed for like one problem, not like yeah. a billion things. So if they are like too excitable or too aggressive or something like that, this is such a good alternative. Mm-hmm. It is. Bears. Bears. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're in Montana, look them up. <laughs> Um, another way that, um, dogs are used to help with human animal conflict, um, is for livestock guarding, um, over in Africa, there's a conservation fund, which I'm very positive. We have probably talked about at some point because they're wonderful. The cheetah conservation fund. Um, it's an organization, um, that helps protect cheetahs. And one of the programs that they have is to use dogs to, um, literally deter away cheetahs. So what happens is, is that the cheetahs come in and then they eat the locals' livestock. Live, the, the livestock get mad. Well, yeah, they get mad too. They but... get eaten. That's why they're mad. <laughs> <laughs> the humans who own the livestock get very upset um, and they tend to retaliate, which often ends in the cheetah losing its life. Um, so instead of um, causing that perpetual cycle to continue... The Cheetah Conservation Fund trained dogs and donated them to uh, these communities to scare away the cheetahs. So, super awesome. But there's a lot of other great things Cheetah Conservation Fund does, too, if you want to look them up. Um, and then the last one I'm going to talk about is, um, which I really feel like Emily B. is going to love this one the most. Um, it's a guarding endangered species is what they do. Um, do they probably guard, also, they guard beluga whales. I swear to God. I don't, I mean, that would be cool, but I'm not sure how possible. It would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm probably going to say it wrong too. Marima. 
It's spelled M-A-R-E-M-M-A. They're shepherd dogs. Um, and they're used to protect colonies of little blue penguins and fairy penguins. Oh my god! <laughs> if you look them up, they're actually adorable. Like, so small and precious. I'm in love. Um, but basically, the populations have been dwindling, like, down to, like, the low hundreds. And um, what happens is, is the fox... Oh, they're fluffy. They're so yeah, cute. Yeah, they're so cute. Well, little the blue foxes... penguins live in southern Australia, which is not the warmest of places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the foxes there, they'll um, eat all the penguins. So they use those shepherd dogs to protect the penguins. Wow. Imagine, imagine being a little blue penguin. And there's just this big, goofy, fluffy dog. Oh my god, there is a picture of this dog next to two little penguins. I need a children's book ASAP. (laughs) Oh yes, that, I think that's a moneymaker right there. (laughs) I can't do this episode anymore, I'm getting too emotional. There are some real (laughs) cute pictures of these dogs with the penguins. They're very cute. They basically look like those white mountain dogs, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of like a super fluffy golden retriever, but like white. Yes, <laughs> and very large. And and very large. <laughs> I know it's precious. Um, but one of the populations, um, I couldn't find what the starting number was, but it said that it grew to two hundred since they implemented this program. So I can't imagine how low it was before. Yeah, but, seriously. Uh, the fact that they're reporting that it's increasing the population is incredible. Uh, there's lots of cool other things that dogs do too, um, like finding invasive species, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, the dogs are trained to sniff out specific invasive animals and plants so they can be removed, which is nice. Um, and if not removed, then at least like prevented from spreading. Um, I was reading about um, a dog that lives, or not a dog, wow, at some dogs that live in. Uh, oh my god, I'm so sorry. My brain is not working. They're, <laughs> they're looking for zebra mussels in Montana and Canada. Mm-hmm. So zebra mussels, if you don't know, are super duper invasive species. Um, and these dogs are able to detect them on boats with a 100% accuracy. Wow. Human That's... accuracy was 75%. Like of us good. smelling them out. <laughs> they can and not only can they detect like the muscles, but the muscles larvae, which we can't detect because it's microscopic. They just Amazing. got good little sniffers. So good. What can't that nose do? It literally nothing. Uh another cool thing that dogs can do is they can alert to different diseases that are being spread through the poop of different animals. Which is important because a lot of times we can't detect uh, using our human senses and ways different things that might infect other animals in an area. So being able to hunt down these animals, even just through their poop and getting rid of the poop itself, a lot of parasites are spread through poop, um, really helps keep those populations safe. And I thought this is so cool. Um, Another cool project they're talking about is finding emerald ash borers, which... If you're from the Midwest, you've heard about these stupid little beetles for hundreds and thousands of years because it's a beetle that was a, um invasive species from Asia and it is destroying all of our ash trees. I have a beetle and East I am not from the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. If you go up to a certain height and elevation in the Smokies, you can see all the ash trees that they absolutely destroyed. It's just a field of skeletons. It's terrible. Yeah, not a good time, folks. So very rude of those beetles. It's so it's so rude, and they don't listen to less English, so it's hard. Um, but these dogs can detect the beetles not only in the um, wood, but also in mulch and shrubs and in firewood. So that's really good because part of the, um, at least in Minnesota, one of the big things to talk about is not moving your firewood from one place to another because of this ash borer. You're supposed to buy it wherever you're camping. Um, and this can kind of help curb that too if the dogs are there. So pretty amazing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I was excited because it was a Minnesota project that they were doing. (laughs) Um, I just heard so much about this stupid beetle my whole life. And like you'd go to campgrounds and they'd have signs and it's, it's fun to see that they're like coming up with creative solutions to try to stop it from spreading. Cause if it gets across the Mississippi river, it would be so difficult to stop. I, um, I think I read somewhere. Um, I'm pretty sure Emily B has probably talked about the Petula snails. Um, but I saw that dogs are used to sniff out like lots of different types of invasive snails and one yes. of them was a cool snail yes i i just chose the so i'm looking at the working dogs for conservation website and i was just looking at um these specific projects that they that they like highlighted yeah but yes it says they also um train dogs to find a kind of clover a kind of thistle and rosy wolf snails in hawaii and then brown tree snakes in guam so all these like crazy different things they have different scents. They can they can find them, um, so cool. which is amazing. And then dogs can also help monitor inv- um, endangered species. I almost said invasive, which is what we just talked about. But endangered species, they can help too. Dogs can help find and sniff out where different animals are. They can see where they live, and that helps you get an accurate number of species, which is really important because one of the things that conservation have trouble with is population counts. So having the dog to like at least find where they are makes it way easier for us. Um, I'd appreciate it at least. Yes. And apparently the dogs are 40 times more efficient at finding species than the humans are. I believe it. Which is, mm. I, I do too, but it's still like, that is insane. That's so much better. Just imagine how much like research hours you can save by having a dog. 40 times less. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy it just and obviously there's a lot of training that goes into these dogs so it's not really gonna be four times left because it trained them but it's at least like doing something to help um they've helped animals like black-footed ferrets which we've talked about before and kit foxes and they're also helping to protect thousands of acres of land in idaho and montana for the large carnivores like grizzly bears and that's just really cool we love um it. And then my favorite working dog for conservation is Captain Ron, who I'm pretty sure is retired, but Captain, <laughs> I'm like 98% sure he's not working anymore. <laughs> but Captain Ron was a beagle that sniffed out sea turtle nests, which is so cute. So he is tra- or has been trained to find eggs in fresh sea turtle nests. Um, he worked on Vero Beach in Florida, which is another reason why it's exciting because, like, I can go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty fun place to go. It's a pretty good place. And they worked with, um, it looks like the Disney conservation team to sniff out all the sea turtle nests. And yes, that helped for, find them. Um, if you want to get really sciencey with it, one of the um, scientists at Disney. Uh, she actually published a study that specifically um, talked about how you can use dogs um, for finding endangered species or invasive species. It's like an actual published study that she did. So, Which is nice. incredible. And Captain yeah. Ron helped pave the way. And he's really cute because he's like a, he's a bitty beagle. He's not a big one. He's bitty. I saw somewhere that it, it described him as a pocket beagle. Yes. Oh! Oh my gosh. I can't. I know I have a cat. I'm aware. Dogs are also (laughs) so good. (laughs) So those are the ways that some dogs help out with invasive species and at least monitoring endangered species. But what can we do to help protect the species, Kenzie? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. So actually, did you know that dogs work in anti-poaching work for wildlife? Heck yeah, they do. Yeah, they they're do. good boys and girls. Sorry, we just posted a picture of Captain Ron, and he's very cute. Oh, what a good boy! <laughs> Look at him; he's so small. I love Look the name Captain Ron. By the way, I just I like really he's a little him. superhero. It sounds like an Saving old those man. Sea turtles. It does <laughs> sound like an old man. Like at an the same old time. World War II veteran. <laughs> Captain Ron. <laughs> 
Captain Ron, I was there in Normandy. <laughs> Sniffing out sea turtles on the beach. Well, Kenzie would know because she was there too. <laughs> I am a time tracker. That's true. This is I do true. love fighting Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But anyways, speaking Sorry. of fighting. Um, so there's this organization called Working Dogs for Conservation. And essentially, uh, this organization will train and deploy dogs in the U.S. and abroad uh, to help with different conservation organizations in terms of um, defeating poaching. So essentially what happens is that uh, they prevent poaching through detecting guns and ammunition. They track illegal hunters on foot, sniff out rhino horn, ivory, bushmeat, and even pangolin scales. So these guys are the boots on the ground when it comes to actively combating against those routes and uh, poaching methods that are going on. So that's pretty cool. So go dogs and shout out to their handlers as well and the trainers because I think oh my that's God, pretty, yeah. pretty awesome. That's so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's dangerous work too, you know. It's the um, same. Well, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, so uh, shout out to those guys. Um, if you are interested, definitely take a look at their website. It's a very well-designed website. It's nice. They have uh, resources you can look at. They also keep up with news. And there's even an Our Dogs post. <laughs> yeah, I was reading one about a dog, dog named Tilly. I know. Oh, there's one named Atlas. He's a Labrador Retriever, and he has a scuba mask on. Oh, my Stop. God. Oh. Mm-hmm. What's his job? What does he do? I don't know. Let me check and see. <laughs> oh, I see. He wants to do something by the water. Reply. Oh, it says here that he's uh, sniffed out shark fin. Stop. Oh. Yeah. So some of them um, on the website, when you go to our dogs, they have profile pictures, essentially, of their dogs. Baby! And you scroll over them. <laughs> yeah, they have their names and, you know, what breed they are when they joined. And some of them will actually have... Uh, what they've been sniffing or detecting. So there's Oki, a Belgian Malinois who joined in 2019, and he's hit on seven cents of uh, ivory, which is pretty cool. Lily helps with grizzly bears. Uh, Sarah Sarah has found pangolin scales. Nice. Good job. Tigre helps find tigers. All the treats. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is, I'm, wow, this is one of my favorite new websites. <laughs> oh, Earl's found cheetah skins. Ah! <laughs> Rudy finds ivory. Well, this is the next hour of this podcast. We'll just be us reading about <laughs> dogs <laughs> and the they've done. The poor thing is going to have to edit out all of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's incredible. Oh my god. Wow. New favorite site. So listeners, if you need to pick me up or you're looking for an organization you would like to help support and you are a big dog lover, definitely check this out. Working dogs for conservation. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of dogs helping out wildlife, uh, you may have seen if you are an avid follower on Instagram of zoos as I am, a couple zoos actually employ dogs to be emotional support animals essentially for cheetahs. So Ooh. cheetahs much like myself and my own cat, uh, we have anxiety. Uh, and it's pretty, <laughs> it is pretty bad. <laughs> anxiety is really bad. Oh, so what they found is that actually when they pair these cheetahs when they're little cubs with puppies, uh, they end up bonding with these dogs. And the best way I can think about it, I usually try not to anthropomorphize, but this one is just a I just really like the analogy. It's like the introvert and extrovert friend. Yeah, you it know? really is. Yeah, it, re- it really is. But uh, they've definitely found that having dogs with their cheetahs actually helps decrease stress levels. It helps them to socialize more, especially with their keepers. Um, and it encourages play and in some ways natural behavior. So um, that's really, really cool. There's one dog named Remus. I follow the cheetah keeper. Um, I think it's at a zoo in Ohio on Instagram. But Cincinnati she is really famous dogs. for it. Cincinnati, yeah, Cincinnati has yeah. ambassador cheetahs. Yeah. So that's that's really great. I love that. So who knew? It's animals so need other animals too sometimes. Um, <laughs> I think was it this oh, the San Diego Zoo does it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said that their matching process is when the cheetah reaches about three months old. 
the zoologists pair him with a six-month-old rescue puppy. Oh, my God. I saw that. I was just at the San Diego Wildlife Park, and I saw the dog with the cheetah. Yeah. And I lost it like this. It was awesome. (laughs) But, of course, like, um, having the dog obviously eases anxiety. It helps them be a lot more relaxed in their environment, all that stuff. But that also encourages breeding, um, which is extremely important for, you know, species like cheetahs who – um, need to you know whose species is dwindling so it's really great we love it we love it and it's funny i think it's just funny because like you have cheetahs and dogs being friends in zoos here in the u.s to like you know help zoo populations and conservation but then on the flip side you got zoos scaring off i mean dogs scaring off cheetahs in Africa, so that there's no retaliation killings on them. I just I wonder you guys if they've ever had a scenario where the dog just like is like, you know, you know what? I'm gonna be friends with this cheetah now. <laughs> like, oh. does that happen? Is that a thing? I don't think so because they don't meet when they're young. They meet when they're older. And the dogs they use for the cheetah conservation fund are like huge. They're Rhodesian Ridge. Yeah, dogs. they're real, uh, real big true. dogs. Fair point. <laughs> I was trying to create a Disney movie over here. It's a good idea. I just don't know how it would work in practice. <laughs> oh my gosh, this one in the... I just looked up a picture of Rhodesian Redbacks. He's in a laundry basket. And he doesn't fit in a laundry basket. They're large. They're so big. Uh, I did wow. send you a picture of a cheetah with a dog at the San Diego Zoo. We love that. <laughs> well, speaking of cats. Speaking of cats. Speaking of cats. <laughs> we've been talking a lot about dogs. And I get it. Dogs are great. I do not disagree. Dogs are fantastic. Man's best friend. Cats are, you know, also great. And (laughs) I feel like if you, which many of us, actually all of us here right now own cats. (laughs) um, Yes. You don't have to convince people that already have cats to love cats or like cat. Like, you know, it's just like, yeah, I get that sometimes my cat knocks off my crystal that's on my dresser and it breaks in the morning when I wake up and I find it and he also threw up this morning. I get it. Those are some things that happen sometimes when you have a cat. Oh my god. Izumi last night I was taking a bath and I had a candle and she burned part of her tail fur off. She's fine because I checked but I just all of a sudden smelled burning hair and I opened my eyes and I was like get out of there. Yep. Classic. I just so, took my cat to the vet because apparently she pees on the floor when she's anxious, and I'm like, "What are you anxious about?" <laughs> Could we not do that, please? So, but so. all of us love our cats to death and would do anything for them. And shortly after, I cleaned up his vomit. I was kissing and hugging him because he's a good boy. <laughs> but anyways, that's beside the point. Um, this is a little different than dogs' role in conservation, as we've talked about. You know, we've Train dogs to do a lot of really awesome work uh, that can help uh, aid us in conservation efforts. But it's kind of the flip side with cats. We, so I'm going to start from the beginning. Uh, cats were probably truly domesticated about 10,000 years ago. Um, and their domestication was a bit different from dog domestication because rather than being like specifically selected Uh, for a job or for work or for some sort of thing that would benefit humans they were more tolerated by humans and gradually diverged from their wild relatives through natural selection and adaptation to hunting the vermin found around human settlements have you guys seen tiktok about this yes i think i know which one you're talking about but basically they were just like you know, humans are okay, and humans eventually were like, yeah, I guess you guys are okay, too, and the rest is history. <laughs> it was like a mutual like, understanding. I cherish you, yeah. and we said the same back. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yeah, well, because we, you could, like, breed dogs selectively for certain jobs is what we, you know, realized, and that's how we domesticated them, whereas cats just kind of were like, they basically domesticated themselves. I mean, that's how the story goes when you you know hear that a lot so even today some um scientists do not consider cats to be truly domesticated since they are able to survive in the wild and revert back to a feral uh <laughs> lifestyle but that does not mean they're suited for this lifestyle uh nor that they should be what are cats in the wild um, especially in areas where they don't belong 
So that's where I'm getting to with this is because uh, we love cats and we think they're awesome. We have them as our companions, as our pets. We have brought them to many, many, many different places around the world where they were once not found. Um, and then, you know, maybe someone leaves their cat behind or they have kittens and they get outside and they start a population of feral cats. And all of a sudden, you have an invasive population. And they're killing all my birds! And they are killing all of the birds. And this is, like, no exaggeration. They are literally killing all of the birds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, because of this uh, ability to survive in the wild, they have been ranked, uh, cats have been ranked in the top 100 worst non-native invasive species by the IUCN. I need to see this list. Yeah, right. Like, the 100 worst <laughs> invasive species out there. I'm sure you could find it. I think they're actually ranked pretty high on the list as well because they're so widespread and uh, very destructive. So free-ranging, for example, free-ranging cats on islands specifically have caused or contributed to 33, um, which is 14%, of the modern bird, mammal, and reptile extinctions recorded by the IUCN Red List. Oof. So that's rough. That's a lot. Um. As you can imagine, cats were not on these islands. Suddenly they are. And then these birds are like, ah, shoot. You got us. We're dead. <laughs> That's exactly how and, it went. That exact way. Cats are not, um, they, what's that word? Emily, you talked about it a lot. Well, this is the very first episode we're going back to about hyenas. How they don't just kill to eat. They kill for funsies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What is that called? Oh it's God. called something. Dolphin syndrome. <laughs> like it's literally okay. That's literally oh, what it is. Killing surplus killing. Thank you. So cats do that. They surplus kill. So they will not only kill to feed themselves. They will kill for hashtag funsies. And I totally, you know, any cat I've owner witnessed. can say absolutely. <laughs> I've you witnessed know, my, my own cat do this. My she cat literally... sees a fly in the house and it's game on. It's like yeah. let's go. <laughs> We my always cat, know when there's a lizard at home. Yep, yep, that's true. I've never seen my cat ever actually eat something that she catches. She exactly. Let's it, it go. Catches exactly. it. Exactly. There's like, playing yeah. games. There's playing games. Um, and just to give you some perspective on how many surplus killings this is, in the U.S. alone, cats kill about 2.4 billion birds every year. That's a lot of birds. That's there's a lot of birds. So I can't this... do this anymore. <laughs> do what? It is just like can they just stop killing my birds? No, because we've done this. We've we've released the beasts everywhere. And we're where they should not be. Sad. So in this case, this example of our domestication of an animal has brought some consequences to conservation when we introduce them to non-native areas and allow them to roam free outdoors. Um, where they are able to establish feral colonies. So this is kind of where I feel like I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit. And I feel like what I'm about to say is maybe the most controversial take I've ever had on this show, because I feel like a lot of people have very strong opinions about allowing your cat to go outdoors. And I am on the very strong opinion that cats are indoors. They should be indoor cats. And here's why. Well, first off, it's very important that you always spay and neuter your cat. Um, mm -hmm. That's why there are so many spay, neuter, and re release programs out there. It's to try and stop this, you know, explosion of uh, feral cat populations, which are causing harm to ecosystems, but also just, um, you know, these cats are not living a great life out there. <laughs> No, um, to be completely honest. Yeah, Emily can definitely vouch for this um, as someone that works in that field of animal rescue. Um, you can, if you do own a cat or, uh, you know, adopt a cat and want to give them the outdoor experience, you can try harness training them, which is my cat is harness trained. I take him outside pretty frequently, usually Minus when he two. asks. <laughs> yeah, like when he, or like they have those cool backpacks. I know you have that, Abby. That has, I do like, have a bubble. backpack. It's a bubble, but then it folds out into a tent. So if, like, Aww. I was, I was, um, like, cleaning out my car a couple days ago, and Izumi just came and sat outside in her tent while I was doing that. See, that's amazing. I love that. So it's when you can supervise them outdoors, 
Um, you can have them on a harness, in an enclosure, in a tent, what have you, in a little backpack. Great stuff. Um, you know, that's a great way to still be able to take your cat um, outside for that sort of enrichment or different experience. Um, but if you just allow your cat outdoors to roam, uh, they're much more susceptible to disease like feline leukemia or FIV. They are extremely uh, more likely to be hit by a car. Uh, they are susceptible to, unfortunately, cruelty from other people who may not view cats in the way that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard some really horrifying things, especially regarding black cats that uh, make me very sad because I have a little black cat. And, He's very you know, cute. I know. So it just makes me upset to hear things like that. Um, and all other sorts of, you know, obviously dangers to living outside. But um, on average, cats that live outdoors live about 10 years less than indoor cats. Um, on average, they live about two to five years. So... You know, if you have, I'm not by any means saying if you have an outdoor cat, you know, how dare you? Shame on you. Absolutely not. Like, that's just how a lot of cats, I mean, they, they did it They did it themselves. They were like, I'm not going to live in the house with you humans. I'm going to just live <laughs> outside in your little barn area so I can get all the little mice. And it's um, really hard then- for, for cats to go from out all outside especially if they're adults to all inside right exactly like, please do not in any by any means just like take your outdoor cat don't and be torture like, you're your just cat. gonna live inside now i'm i mean I'm you can like, habituate them but it's um it's a very lengthy and right. frustrating process yeah exactly and but but if you choose to adopt a cat in the future please consider making it an indoor cat only um not only for their own safety and health, um, but also for the health of the environment. Uh, When I was studying abroad in Australia, that was actually one of the biggest things that my professor talked about when it came to conservation um, where I was living in Australia and Adelaide was the threat of um, feral cats and people that let their cats outdoors. Uh, That was actually killing so many native songbirds in Australia. It was kind of... like it was happening at an alarm, alarmingly fast rate. Um, and I remember him saying this and it like, I've never thought about that before, before I took that class. How, you know, I just see cats around and you'd be like, ah, yes, the outdoor cat, amazing, great. Which I still do because the ones that are out there, they're amazing, great. You know, they didn't, they didn't do that. We did it. They didn't did choose that. the outside life. The we, outside life chose them. We did that to them. So I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Just do your research when it comes to, um, you know, because if, uh, and I think people's biggest concern, if they're like, oh, but if I don't let my cat outdoors, will it have enough stimulation? Absolutely can indoors. Oh my goodness. They're fine. It absolutely can. Um, yeah, there's. cat broke a crystal this morning. That's enriching. <laughs> that was enrichment for him. It was um, a little sad enrichment for me, <laughs> but it's fine. This yeah, he likes but... to climb the Christmas tree. It's frustrating for me. But you know, it's we. I mean, you could say a million things about dogs in the same respect uh, that oh, yeah. they could be destructive indoors too. You know, it's it's just what goes with having a pet. So, like I have already said, I'm gonna get off my soapbox now. If you want to talk more about cats and indoor versus outdoor and all that jazz, I would love to. Feel free to shoot us an email. I really love this topic and you could us. talk about it for a whole whole episode but it's not too conservation related except for that first part so i digress but on to the last domestic animal we're going to talk about <laughs> i'm very excited about it's one that maybe people don't consider when you're thinking oh what kind of pet do i want to bring into my house but they actually make really great pets not gonna lie it's rats baby I um, did not know about this in conservation and it blows my mind. Well, here's the thing. I don't think it's like directly really. Well, it here's the thing. Okay. So they are African giant pouched rats. That is the specific species of rat that we are talking about. Um, I'm actually going to, I haven't even looked up. I mean, I've seen pictures of them, but like when you say giant, pouched rat i'm already ahead of you gotta be thinking of like a big chunky boy right look right there they're big like i'm talking there's i just like like this like a small cat size honestly (laughs) 
I just added a picture. Like maybe that. like that's a kangaroo, <laughs> bigger than a kitten. They kind of do look like kangaroos a little bit. They're big chunky boys. They have a long tail. I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm sorry, mom. I know you're not a big fan of rats and mice, but these guys are pretty great. Uh, they so. <laughs> They can also be trained to do really cool things. Uh, there is a nonprofit organization called Apopo. Do not ask us what that stands for because it is in Dutch and I cannot say those words. We already tried. We've tried. It doesn't sound pretty. So Apopo, A-P-O-P-O, trains African giant pouched rats to sniff out landmines and tuberculosis. So what a combination. I, I say it's conservation related because obviously... A landmine going off is not a great thing for anyone, I would say, for the the earth or for the people around it. So the rats are trained to sniff out landmines in areas where landmines have been left behind from war or times of conflict. Uh, One of the most notable places where this uh, has been utilized is in Cambodia. Uh, And in particular, there is a certain rat named Magawa who has done quite his share of sniffing out landmines. He has cleared more than 141,000 square meters of land, which is the equivalent of about 20 football fields. Oh my God. Sniffing out. And in this you know area of land, he sniffed out 71 landmines and 38 items of unexploded ordnance, ordnance or ordnance in Cambodia. Uh, he actually received a gold medal uh, for his service in saving countless lives. So these are areas where people um, would like to farm or to utilize the land, but they're too afraid of obviously getting um, severely injured or dying because of these unearthed landmines. Uh, So these rats are able to help people um, feel comfortable and at ease going into these areas again um, and doing what they need to do. So (laughs) good, good on them. Uh, Magawa actually retired in 2021 from his duties. And like I said, he received a little gold medal. You could see a picture of him. He's got it. It's like him. It's a little rat sized gold medal. It's on his little harness that he wears. Um, Unfortunately, I did read this on their website that Magawa actually did pass away in January of this year. Um, But he was eight years old. That's an old rat. Yeah. Yeah. No joke. That is a very old rat. (laughs) They like, noticed like they retired gone. him because they noticed him slowing down a little bit, and they were like, "Oh, we'll just let him, you know, obviously live out his days comfortably in retirement." And he did just that. So I don't know. I think this is really cool. The uh, other half of this organization is that they do also train the rats to sniff out tuberculosis as well, in the hopes of eventually eradicating the disease if they can track it well enough. So that's incredible. Yeah, pretty I love crazy. It. So, Emily, as you're signing off here, what are some things that we can do to help out conservation? Oh, well, I'm so happy you asked. <laughs> um, number one, uh, as we talked about with cats, spay and neuter your freaking pets. <laughs> Please and thank you. I'm done. <laughs> um but seriously, like, there's so much that can help with spaying, neutering, um, especially those little kitty cats who get outside and eat um, wild birds. Um, it not only reduces the population growth um, from things like that happening, um, but it also helps um, for dogs, too. Um, it helps both of them in the sense that it manages hormone-related behaviors. It limits health risks, like things like cancer. Um, like for testicular and prostate cancer or mammary tumors. Um, And it's also cost effective because unfortunately, a lot of the times with those behavior issues, they uh, like to pick fights with others or others will pick fights with them. um, And just because they're intact, it can happen. And it saves you an emergency trip um, to the vet clinic. So many reasons for why you should spay and neuter. Please do it. Um, Also, you can always adopt. You can help reduce the um, overpopulation that gets out, like those kitty cats get out in the wild. Um, And you can help save some and make them your personal little home kitty. Um, And same thing for dogs. You can help save those dogs. Um, I know I mentioned a rescue um, 
conservation canines that helps save um, rescue dogs and train them to be used for conservation. Um, I also found out that working dogs for conservation, the one that we were like literally spooning over their website, they do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, And there's ways that you can volunteer for these facilities and you can even go to your local shelter. Maybe they don't know about these programs and you can help them pick out the high energy dogs um, to be used for these programs because they will literally ship out the dogs to their program to be trained, which is awesome. Um, So just to reiterate some of the great organizations that you can look up um, to support the Working Dogs for Conservation, Cheetah Conservation Fund, the APOPO. (laughs) (laughs) APOPO. However the heck we say it. And I'm just going to shamelessly plug my rescue, A Better Life at Rescue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, We're based in Central Florida, so um, if you are in the area and you're looking to get a new doggy or a kitty, you can absolutely look us up, but we're not the only ones out there. There are plenty of rescues out there, literally all across the world, that you can save pets from. We love it. Yeah. Well, I'm so sad. I'm <laughs> probably going to like go cry now because oh. this has been such a wonderful time. And it really gave us an amazing sense of purpose and an opportunity to teach people about conservation during a time when we literally didn't have our jobs to do it anymore. So this has been wonderful and I will always be your number one supporters and I'll always be your friends too. Oh my God, I'm (laughs) going to start crying. Oh, wow. (laughs) Thanks, Emily. We're going to miss you very much. And who knows, maybe I'll come pop in for a few guests. Well, I would love it. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. Uh, We please ask, always follow us on social media, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and you can always email us at conservationqueenspodcast at gmail.com. Join us on Patreon, $5 a month. Patreon episodes. You get a sticker. A sticker. And maybe sweaters, question mark? Oh, I have, this is a lot. (laughs) <laughs> we're working uh, on it that's like maybe far farther future when we have more patreons yeah because we need money to order the sweaters yeah 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 that, that's fair so stay tuned thank you so much for joining us this week everyone now go out there and stay sustainable bye bye, bye. <laughs> oh my god Emily. <laughs>